0: Today we're discussing page 35 of The Revenge of Kang, and my god, we have so much to talk about. It's a very big day, as can be immediately deduced from the name of the chapter that begins on this page, chapter 13, The First of Many Kangs. So alright, number one, go to the visual companion, patreon.com slash megadumbcast. In a visual companion post that is open to everyone, patron or otherwise, you will see Kang at last. Pretty damn late to his own adventure module, but at least he's here now. Locked in combat with the West Coast Avengers. Kang is pulling a lever. Vision is flying toward him. Moon Knight is swinging toward him. Tigra, I'm going to say she is vaulting over a railing breakdancing style toward him. You really have to see the picture. You remember back in uh, the Weird Weird West where there was the the picture of Napoleon playing chess with Vision and it looked like Tigra was trying to watch the game, but her crotch was being like magnetically drawn toward one of the Napoleonic guards? If we extend that logic, that would be one explanation for this illustration. Perhaps she was on the floor below, and she was just plucked crotch first up through the air toward Kang by his sexual magnetism. And she's just clinging to a railing, trying to resist the force of her own horniness, pulling her upward like she's being sucked out of an airlock. And then in front of her, we have three weird, like, profile shots of just the heads. Of Hawkeye, who appears to be absent. He is not facing anyone. He is like looking straight off the side of the panel in perfect profile. There can't be anything over there. I don't see the top of his bow. He doesn't have his weapon. I don't know what the fuck Hawkeye is doing. And then Wonder Man's making this like teeth gritted expression, and his hair is all wild. But then he's not looking at Kang. He's looking at Scarlet Witch, and Scarlet Witch is just looking sort of coy and pleased with herself. I have no idea what the fuck is going on in this picture. And in the background, in the corner of this room, we have that same fucking swastika emblazoned time machine, which, number one, you still haven't gotten around to painting over those swastikas. And number two, that time machine is not here uh, in this scene, nor does Kang have such a time machine. So maybe this is a completely alternate reality. Maybe these are the Nazi West Coast Avengers. Maybe this is Tigra, she tiger of the SS. But in any case, a truly inexplicable illustration. But that's just a side note. I I couldn't not mention the illustration. But there's so much else happening in this scene. Let me give you the rundown. You'll recall that our heroes, through a variety of different means, have managed to use two separate power transfer signals to triangulate the location of a hidden power generation and and transmission station out in the barren wastes of this pocket dimension. Naturally, they want to find this power source because they found some plans earlier for a device that could be used to escape this dimension, which is otherwise impossible to leave in a time or dimensional device because it's got too much dimensional gravity or whatever. So they know whoever made those plans is going to be at the power source, and maybe if they can hook up with them, they can get out of here. So our heroes go out into the wastes, they find the source of the transmission, then they get the following box text, quote, You have reached the exact point where your calculations place the alien power source, but you see nothing but desert and the occasional shrub surrounding you. Uh, The reason for this is that the power station is underground. So if you search the sand, then you'll find this big hatch. If you investigate the hatch and make a reason feat, then you discover that you've got to use a specific radio signal to trigger the opening mechanism to open the hatch. If you don't happen to have a radio transmitter on you, then you can instead just bash the hatch open. So either way, I mean, like most superhero teams will either have someone super strong or someone who routinely carries a portable configurable radio transmitter, either one of those solutions will work. Whichever one of those things you happen to have on your superhero team, you can get through the hatch. Once you do, you see Kang's timeship. Now, it's conceivable that the player characters or even the players haven't quite yet figured out that Kang is here, but they probably haven't. If they haven't, they're about to next page. And in any event, they definitely know that this is the timeship they saw back with their timeship at the site where they crash-landed in this dimension, and now that timeship is here. I think that's enough for us to lift the no-spoiler veil and talk about the ludicrous timeline that this adventure has been running on so far. Unbeknownst to you, the listener, because I haven't been able to talk about what's happening behind the scenes, but truly, this is a farce. So this is the timeline of what's happened in the Pocket dimension so far. First of all, Kang crashed here in his timeship. Like our heroes, he couldn't immediately get out in his timeship, so he wrote up those plans that our heroes found earlier for a dimensional escape gadget. I don't know how long this took him, doesn't really matter. But once he had the plans, he knew that he was going to need a power source and a warp regulator or whatever the fuck that triangular piece was that was missing from the spire. So Kang traveled to the spire in search of power and parts. All this makes sense so far. Doesn't particularly matter how long anything took or exactly when it happened. But then Kang took the parts that he needed from the spire. And that's when this timeline gets extremely tight because taking those parts, shut down the beacon in the spire, right? This is essentially the exact moment when the player characters land. Has to be. Because when you crash here, the beacon is already off, right? So we know that our heroes arrive after the beacon is off. However, when our heroes crash, they find Kang's time ship, and they find the dimensional escape plans. So our heroes set off to the spire, presumably. And remember, there are the two different ways to get there. You can walk through the swamp, over the water, or you can take the weird cylindrical boat over the water and bite that sea serpent. I think the reason there are two routes there is because it is essential to the progress of the plot that Kang is coming back from the Spire to the time ships at the same time that our heroes are leaving the time ships and headed toward the Spire. So because there are two routes, whichever one the heroes take, Kang can be presumed to be taking the other one so that they miss each other. It's crucial to the progress of the plot that Kang is going one way, the heroes are going the other, but they miss each other completely. Already a lot is happening at the same time, but at the same same time, the Kokri noticed that the beacon has switched off and immediately head over to the Spire to investigate, right? Because obviously the spirits are angry. We better go fucking throw somebody in the well of inconvenience and show the spirits we're sorry. However, our heroes arrive at the Spire before the Kokri get there. Remember, that's scripted. No matter what, that's what happens. Then, a very short time later, because remember, this is just enough time for our heroes to explore like four levels of the Spire, which are not like big complicated dungeon levels. It's like four big rooms, right? At that point, the Kokri show up after the hero's arrival, but very soon after the hero's arrival. At the same time, Kang is flying his ship back to the power source, whose location he was apparently able to find without triangulation, because he's Kang, fair enough. Now, Kang leaving at the timeship does definitely happen immediately because, number one, there's a possibility that our heroes escape the Kokri at the Spire and go back to their timeship, in which case this isn't explicit in the module, but presumably they're not going to find Kang just chilling out in his timeship where they can mug him for the warp regulator and short-circuit this entire leg of the adventure. Presumably, if you go back, you're going to find Kang's timeship gone because otherwise none of the rest of this Kokri stuff is necessary. Number two, Kang has no reason to wait around. He clearly hasn't been inside the main complex which is where our heroes found the second power signal that allowed them to triangulate the power station's location. And there don't appear to be any other power signals that could be used to triangulate that location, which means Kang was able to find it without triangulating, which means he has no reason to go anywhere else. If he knows where the power source is and he's got the part that he needs, of course, he's going to go right to the power station. And indeed, whenever we go to the power station, Kang is already there. This all adds up, to a ridiculously specific and coincidental timeline that does not hold up to the slightest bit of creative thinking from the players. I mean, it would already be extremely convenient for the player characters who are not making a controlled landing, mind you, but are just having an uncontrolled crash in this dimension, for them to land not at the same space-time coordinates that Kang did, not at any of the other points in the history or future of this pocket dimension, but at the exact place Kang did later virtually the precise moment that the beacon goes out, that's already a huge coincidence. But then that they're going to the Spire at exactly the same time Kang is coming back from it, because if Kang had already come back, they can't find his time ship and the design for the dimensional escape device, which means they don't have anything to go on. They don't know what to look for a power source and the adventure falls apart. So they have to pretty much precisely miss Kang going the opposite direction. Then when they get to the Spire, they have to get there before the Kokri, because if the Kokri are already there then the heroes are going to see them and not want to go in. And it's going to be obvious to the Kokiri probably that our heroes were not the ones who interfered with the spire. They really need to find them inside the spire. But the Kokiri need to arrive before our heroes can finish up what they're doing in the spire and leave. And our heroes are only going to be there for a minute. So once again, the timing is extremely precise. Everything needs to happen at exactly the right moment for no reason for the plot to work. And under normal circumstances, that would just be kind of hokey, but we're talking about superhero adventurers in an unfamiliar location who've kind of had the shit beaten out of them by plot contrivances already in this adventure path. They're prone to be cautious and they have a lot of unpredictable resources. If our heroes spend even a half hour doing anything at any point in this chain, then the timeline breaks down. So for example, let's say that we crash our time ship, but we're all fucked up because we've been thrown around hitting bulkheads because we haven't been answering historical trivia correctly or whatever. If we learned our lesson from getting our shit repeatedly kicked in in the Weird Weird West because we couldn't heal up properly, the first thing we're going to do is say, okay, nobody get out of the time ship. Right now, we're taking a nap. Before anything can happen, we're taking a nap. At least in the case of a nap, like a 30-minute nap. Kang's not going to show back up because it takes maybe two to three hours to come back from the Spire to the crash site, depending on which route you take. So the timeline is going to be slightly fucked, but Kang won't actually show up and ruin everything. However, the Kokri are much closer to the Spire than the heroes are, and it strains credulity beyond the breaking point to think that the players are going to take an additional half hour. So now we're talking about two and a half to three and a half hours for them to get to the Spire. And this is not as fast as they could get there. It's like an arbitrary point because they took some time to get their bearings first, make a decision, take a nap, maybe have some rations, look around, whatever. Nonetheless, despite the fact that time has passed and that amount of time has been long and arbitrary, nonetheless, the Kokiri arrive just after the heroes go into the Spire so that it looks like our heroes are the culprit for breaking the beacon. I think at that point, the logic of the adventure is broken, but at least things can still happen. They're just highly unbelievable, unmistakably contrived. But what if our heroes decide to, as we talked about at the time, right? You've got two time ships here, got all kinds of cool gadgets. you got designs for a dimensional escape device, but you still need a power source and a warp regulator for it. It might make a lot of sense if you happen to have karma to blow or you're like an inventor type character to try to kit bash something here, which could take hours. If the heroes stop at this juncture to make something like a device to find the location of the power source or some kind of improvised weapon out of the remains of the time machine or just any whatever. There's no excuse for Kang not to show up while they're in the middle of it. We know how long it takes to get from the Spire to the crash site. It's two to three hours. If they are here longer than three hours, which they easily could be between a nap, kit bashing, scouting possibly. Kang can't be at the Spire because the Kokiri would bust him. He can't be on his way because it doesn't take that long to get here. And he wouldn't be going anywhere else because he needs his time ship, right? And this is where he parked it. Kang just has to show up. And if Kang shows up while we're in the middle of kit bashing something, I don't really see that there's a way forward where the rest of the stuff in this leg of the adventure can happen. All the Kokiri stuff, the Kokiri are going to know that the player characters weren't the ones who ruined the Spire. The player characters are going to go in with knowledge of what's up with the Spire. They're going to already know Kang is here. They're going to see Kang fly off to wherever. The whole thing is ruined. Between Kang's just inexplicable ability to do whatever he needs to do to make this hang together but also everyone's refusal to use their resources intelligently. Like, there's almost a a romantic comedy-like feel to this plot, where the plot requires characters of vast means, but unwillingness to solve their goddamn problems, combined with a whole twisting path of outrageous coincidence to prevent the plot from resolving as soon as the principal characters bump into each other. And that's bad enough in a romantic comedy, where, like, theoretically we want the characters to get together and find love and grow as people, but also we want to see them fuck it up. Like, that's the story. If you don't enjoy watching characters start to like each other, then start to hate each other, then like each other again, then finally fall in love, presumably you're not going to a lot of rom-coms, right? So in that sense, we need those plots to give us what we want. I don't want this. Like, this pocket dimension thing, this wandering around, the trial, the fucking snakes, the antifreeze-drinking psychic jungle fundamentalists, none of this is what I signed up for, so I am not forgiving of a plot that forces me to walk in circles around it until an arbitrary point in time. And if the players are like me, they're going to be continually seeking ways to wrap this shit up. And I, I am fearful that either they're going to break the plot if they do that, or perhaps worse, they're going to bump up against the boundaries of the plot and realize like, oh, this is, a- this is a, an outrageously improbable preordained set of events outside of our control just off-screen, so that we don't, like, run up in the rain and kiss Kang on top of the Empire State Building until the final scene. Which, by the way, would have been a better climax, in many ways, than what we were about to get. Join me next time for that, on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day, except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big sode on the top-secret, patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc, etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by AstroMetrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash Band.